Hey y'all, this is Mallory Irvin and it's time for all of us to live fully. It's so important in this crazy world of ours that we stay connected, inspired, and motivated to be and do our best. And that's not always easy. I'm here with my guests and friends to share the stories and lessons we've learned to help you live your best life every day and truly begin living fully. Let's make it happen and get started with today's episode. Hi guys, welcome back to this week's podcast. I'm loving that you guys are loving the season of celebration that we've been kind of doing over here in our corner and all these conversations around how to make our holidays special and intentional and to really live fully through this holiday season. The guests that I've had in this little capsule collection of episodes have been some of my very favorites and the conversations have really set me on a path that I feel is really beautiful heading into the holiday season. So I really hope that these podcasts continue to do that for y'all. And I've got a fantastic author on today, one of my very, very favorites, Shauna Nequist. I'm sure you have heard of her, but if you have not, she's a New York Times bestselling author of Cold Tangerines, Bittersweet, Bread and Wine, Savor, Present Over Perfect, and the new Present Over Perfect Guided Journal. She's married to Aaron, and they live in New York City with their sons, Henry and Mac. We talk a lot about that, too, because I just love it that she made that happen. It's just kind of the coolest story. Shauna is a bookworm, a storyteller, a beautiful storyteller, might I add and a passionate gatherer of people, especially around the table. So we talk a lot about a lot of things today, and um, I'm really excited to bring this conversation with Shauna to you. Okay, with the holiday season fastly approaching, I want to tell you guys about a product that I love, and thank you so much to CO2 for sponsoring this podcast. So this mask, y'all... If you want to be walking into your holiday parties this season glowing like a Christmas tree with the lights lit up, you need to try this mask. It brings so much hydration to the skin. It's literally insane. The first time that I used this product, I like turned around to Dr. Bosman. I was in Dr. Bosman's office and I was like, why didn't you tell me about this product before? I am so obsessed and everyone in the world needs to know about it. I love a product that I feel like I can use one time and see such a difference in my skin. So if you guys want to try this mask, it's just this mask that you put on your face for yourself. I have a code for 15% off. So if you guys go to the link in the description of this podcast, Podcast. Click that link and then enter the code living fully. That will give you 15% off. It's also great for gifts. Um, if you're looking for a stocking stuff or a really nice gift to give somebody in your life that loves beauty and looking good, which who doesn't try this out back to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Shauna, I'm so, so thrilled to have you today. Thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. It's great to meet you. It's great to meet you. And I feel like as happens a lot in this world, we know a lot of the same people and they're some of my favorite people. And actually last night I was at dinner with Jessica Turner and Ann Voskamp, who just both really adore you, as does really everyone. 
Um, oh. they, just they are wonderful. Oh, that's sweet. They are both really, really lovely people. Yes. And Jen Hatmaker is just everyone's favorite, but also really one of my favorite. Every every time I hear you guys um, bantering back and forth, they say they get you. We say they get you confused. Uh-huh. I think that that's the, the greatest compliment for both of you. <laughs> it totally is. I'm always happy to be confused yes. for Jen Hatmaker that I will always take that compliment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I want to start this this podcast out by I have listened to so many podcasts you've done. I've, I've read the books. I, I know all things Shauna, but my um, listeners, I come from a little bit of a different circle than you sometimes run into because I have this whole group of people that sometimes haven't heard of the authors or the books and then they become obsessed with them like I do. So is there any way you could just introduce me to you as if I didn't know who you were, which obviously I do, Um, to your work, to your family, to your life, just a little brief introduction. Sure. Well, I am a lifelong Midwesterner. I grew up outside Chicago and lived in Michigan. And I love especially West Michigan and the lakeshore. I love everything like beach, boat, farmer's market, small town. Mm -hmm. Um, And then three years ago, my husband, Aaron, and I and our two boys moved to New York City which has been just love that you, it is so fun. I love it every day. Every day I wake up and feel like I won the lottery. We just love it it here. And it has been such a great adventure for our family. Mm -hmm. Um, Aaron and I just celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary. Amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. And it's actually Henry's birthday today. So our older son, yes, just is, is 15 today. Well, and Mackie time on that. Really oh, yeah. special day, especially. Well, I mean, you know, he's at school doing his cool high school stuff. <laughs> and then Mackie, our little guy just turned 10 last week. So their birthdays are real close together. So we are in like birthday zone right now. <laughs> and it's a really sweet season for our family. Um, I'm a writer and I'm a writer because I'm a reader. Um, I was like the little bookworm all growing up. And all I ever wanted to be was someone who could contribute to that community of voices that helped shape me so much. So that was books were the thing that like made me feel normal and gave me a world to escape into and taught me everything. And, and I just wanted to be a part of that. And so I am, um, I'm a writer because I'm a reader first and books are like my first love, my first language, my first everything. I love that I'm reading these beautiful books of yours and you parlay into like my language of celebration and hospitality and bringing people together and your recipes. And I just think it's a fantastic way to live and you seem to do it very well. I always hear you talk about like your move to New York and you, you always say that people say this, like I could never live there, but I don't say that. I, I want to know how you live there just in case. <laughs> I mean, we just love it. It's not for everybody, but so neither is living on a farm or living in the suburbs. There are so many different ways to live. And for a lot of people, it's not forever. And you just, so like my friends who live in California, I'm always amazed at how much of their life takes place outside, right? Like what a miracle. You can't do that in the Midwest, (laughs) you you know? Um, And here, um, so we, I don't have formal dinner parties here. I don't have 
space for it. But we have people in and out of our apartment. And especially we live in an apartment that has a little courtyard and we have these happy hour picnics absolutely all the time. So we have lots of friends who like have not sat at my table for months and months, but they have been to one of my picnics several times in the last, you know, two months or so. Make it work when you You make it work. Yes, you do. You figure it out if you are. I need a bigger house. I need nicer cabinets. I need this or that to invite people into my home. And what, and I love what you're teaching people because like this has come later in life. Usually it's the first step when you have Mm -hmm. a small space that you can't invite people to. And I think so many people stand in their own way of such a beautiful thing of gathering and community and hospitality because they're like, my house isn't nice enough. I don't have the right parking situation. And what I love and is a theme through everything I hear from you is just find the way to do it and do it because it's such a beautiful thing to gather people together. I I mean, I just mean, I feel that a thousand percent. Um, when we think about hospitality, a couple of my favorite def- definitions, one of them is, and it's so, I think, poignant for where we are in our culture right now, hospitality is giving people a place to be when they would otherwise be alone, right? Think about how many people have spent time during these last couple of years really, really isolated. I guarantee they're not like, oh, I was going to come over, but I don't like your dishes. Yeah. Are you kidding me? They're like human people. Let me in. Uh-huh. You know? let me, human people. Let me in. Uh-huh. I think we just, we want to be together. Yeah. We want someone to listen to us, to look us in the eye, to give us a hug. We want to be fed and not like in a performative way. I would say this is one way that um, my hospitality has changed. The New York restaurant culture is so spectacular. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to compete with that. You know what I'm going to make? Soup. Uh and queso. (laughs) And like, I'm I'm not trying to like blow your mind with some like fussy little thing I plated for you. Mm -hmm. You can get that every direction from here. Uh What I'm going to give you is a soft landing spot and someone to look you in the eye and a place where you can wear your slippers and feel comfortable and like you're at home. That's what I'm going to do. I love that. And I've seen this my whole life. My mom was a homemaker and cooked and cooked and cooked. And she'll spend the whole holiday in the kitchen as do a lot of parents and grandparents. And she talks a lot about how like, I would rather serve pizza and be there with you communing. And like you just said, I'm not going to compete with this. I'm Mm going to make you queso. And they're going to like the queso. Absolutely. Everybody likes queso. And then you're present for the experience, which I think is fantastic and good advice. I feel like for young, young people who are just now starting to host and bring people into their home, I mean, I, I feel like so, so many times it's the fuss of things and totally appearance of, especially at the holidays. I think a lot of times we can like figure out our own laid back way to do it. And then something happens in the holidays and we like go back to like our grandmas and our moms and these traditions and these pressures. Yes. And yes. Some of those are very sweet. They're also worth taking a look at, right? Like which of these things are truly important for us, for where we live now, for how we live now? And which of them can be left behind lovingly with all honor, but they don't necessarily have to be taken into the future. I think those are questions worth asking. I think that's a really beautiful thing to say and kind of gives people permission to do that. And maybe you choose one tradition instead of six traditions, because that doesn't feel like peaceful, restful, welcoming Jesus in holidays when you're doing too much and when there's so much overwhelm. So speaking of like the appearance of things versus the things. So our, 
I have, you know, read Present Over Perfect. And that I think is like, I think that's my favorite book that you've, mm. that you've written. And I love the book and this whole journey back to simplicity and like choosing your life again. And what I thought was really cool. And I've heard you say several times, it's like, I think you said it to a friend. You, you were talking about the life that you pictured and you said, uh, I have two boys. I'm the mom of boys. I'm working with the church, but I'm not working at the church. I'm like just helping. I'm a writer and I'm stirring this red, this red sauce on the stove. Like you had this cooking element. And what I love about your story and like how you checked into your story and then you made this change is that the looks of it, that that was what happened. So you were the mom of boys. You were helping the church. You were cooking and writing books and doing all this stuff, but it felt different once you got there. So then you decided to like overhaul your whole life and carve parts of it away in this beautiful way when you were at the top of the mountain. And I, I didn't know if you could just talk a little bit about that and what what was the tipping point for you to where you actually made the change? Because I think a lot of people have the feeling and they they don't know how to to make the change like you did. Totally. So, I mean, I, I wish I could say that I like had a little inkling that I wanted to make a change and then I made it. That's categorically not true. I had like years of inklings. Uh-huh and tears and frustrations. And it took them getting loud enough and loud enough and loud enough. And I hope that if I ever get myself into a similar situation again, it won't take me nearly as long, but exactly what you said at the beginning, um, you said something about the things and then the appearance of the things. And I'm sure you've experienced this in your own life. There's a, you become a writer or whatever, whatever thing you do. And then when you become successful in whatever people think that means, I wasn't standing at my stove very often. I was living in an airport and a green room and a hotel room. And I watched CNN as I fell asleep in hotel rooms that all looked the same from the inside. And I would have to sometimes write a post-it to remind me where I was when I woke up because I couldn't remember anymore. And I wasn't getting to be that the mom I wanted to be. I wasn't getting to be the partner I wanted to be. I was... It all looked right on paper, but I was racking up like hundreds of thousands of frequent flyer miles. And like my best friend was like my little roller suitcase and my room service club sandwich. And that is a life that some people love. And I honor that for them. And this was what tripped me up. So many people wanted what I had that I felt bad for saying it wasn't what I wanted. This was what we all wanted, right? You want people to want you to speak at things. You want to go on big tours. You want to stand on stages. This is what we were all trying to get, I guess. And then I didn't like it. And I felt very guilty for not liking the thing we were all supposed to like. And it felt sort of like, um, like snobby, right? Like, oh, you want something better than this? And it, I had to really grapple with that and say, no, 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 no. This isn't better or worse. This is, I just was not made for this. Yeah. This just isn't, it's not wrong for anybody else. One, one of the first things I did was I made a really long list of other, of, of women speakers and writers that I thought would do a great job every time I said no. I said like, oh, I, I can't come to this, but she'd be great and she'd be great and she'd be great and she'd be great. I wanted to support women. I wanted them, if they loved that life, I wanted them to have yeah. it. It just didn't fit for me. And so it got to a point, a friend of mine says, we never change until the pain level gets high enough. 
And I got to the point where I just, like my body and my spirit, I couldn't keep going. I was like starting to hide. I was starting to not feel things. I was starting to not be able to like taste my life and it scared me. Mm -hmm. And so I, I made some changes. Yeah. And I love like when you talk about that phase of your life, you're very open and vulnerable and honest. You said you you had the stress barfs where you were just throwing up. You were so stressed, which is not funny, but like, it's funny that people live with the stress barfs. It's you know? funny that we think that's an okay way to live. It's not okay. No. Not okay. And you said, and I and I feel this very deeply, that your exhausted self is your worst self. My exhausted self is also my worst self. And um, I remember like something in the book that you wrote. If somebody said, I'll give you anything that you want. If you, if I, if you could have anything that you wanted right now, what would it be? And say what you said. <laughs> I want to stop. Just wanted everything to stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, whether you are a person where you're talking about a, a career shift kind of mm-hmm. that yeah. influence your personal life, but it could even be a person who is a stay at home mom or it, and it just feels out of control. And like, they're just yearning to do some kind of part-time thing where they feel like they would be a better, more present mom. If they could spend a few hours doing, it can be so many different things and different life shifts. Doesn't have to be a more to less. It can be a less to more. Totally. And, um, but it's just really, I really like what you just said in that when you have so many people on the outside that are just clamoring to get the thing, Sometimes it's, it makes you so nervous to let it go. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, but what if I don't like it? Whenever I, whenever yeah. I back off. Did you? And people told me that? that. Oh yeah, and people told me like, regret it. Yeah, and they were like, "Hey, you're gonna, you have to stop talking about how much you want to stop traveling and speaking, because people aren't gonna ask you, and then you're gonna have nowhere to go." And I was like, "That's the point, right?" Yeah, I don't. They, but like, know. they they kind of <laughs> didn't believe me. They were like. Yeah. You're going to hate this. Like you're, I mean, I had good friends use the term career suicide. Like you are breaking everything you built. And I was like, yeah, but it's, it's breaking things in me, no matter what, like something's going to get broken right now. Mm-hmm. And the grace in all of it is I, I what we get to change our lives, right? Yeah. We get to decide, we get to listen to how we were made. We get to make changes. What works in one season doesn't have to work in the next season. I got very in my head about the high stakes of it. And now I look back, I'm like, okay, I just, I made some shifts and that's what people get to do in their lives. That's being a grown up person. And, and I mean, the high stakes also were like your family, you have these two children and children are not children forever. Mm-hmm. And so, so many people see career out there, big you know, as the career, the career suicide, but what about like the family, the loss of like what you're losing in your family when you're giving that much to something out there. I just love it that you put something else on a platform and a pedestal and you just, you just swapped the thing. I feel like that was on the pedestal and what a beautiful thing to do. Well, and I think the the biggest, the thing that's so important to me is nobody has to do it the way I did it. Do it the way that feels right to the way God made you. That's it for your season, for your family, for your pace of life, for your dream, for your life. I'm not saying I did it right. And anybody who lived at a faster pace did it wrong. I'm saying it was right for me, for my season, for my family. And I hope that other people feel permission to do the same thing for their season, for their spirit, for their family. 
And like to wrap that up, I think it was either you said it or Oprah said it to you, but she, you said, I think you said it, you, you wrote this book because of the disparity between the life you believed in and the life you were actually living. So if someone out there, if, if you ask them, like, what do you believe in? Like, what is important to you? And they list off the things and then you say, okay, what are you doing? And they're different things. Totally. That is where the, the difference lies, I guess, and where we have the opportunity to change our lives like everyone does. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. that. Okay. Something that you said to, um, <laughs> that I really connected to, and it's just a really funny thing is, you know, it's, it's a culture where people talk about slowing down talk about self-care and then they got the app for meditation and they do, you say it in such a simple, beautiful way that I was like, ding, ding, ding. You talked about um, pretend resting. And I think a lot of people will be pretend resting like during the holiday season. So I was like, this is worth a mention. So tell us what pretend resting is. And then now you, d- you don't do that really anymore. But what it used to be, because I, pre- I definitely pretend, I have pretend rested a lot in my life. <laughs> I mean, I think most moms have, most women have. So um, pretend resting or fake resting is when um, you're wearing your pajamas, you're wearing your cozy clothes, and so are your kids, and so is your husband. And your husband is definitely real resting. He's just like on they the couch doing whatever he wants to do. <laughs> He's playing a game on his phone. It's uh-huh. fine. And you look like you're resting, but instead you are like running laps in your mind. You're making lists of what to do. You are running laps in your actual house, um, dropping things off at different rooms. Cause how did they get out to the living room and they belong in the bedrooms and you're, it looks like you're doing something leisurely, but you're just hustling all the time. And when you were saying, you know, my particular transition was from kind of more to less. And some people need to make the opposite. One of the really important points here is like, for real, I have a person in my life who has an extremely high stakes job, like big deal. And this person doesn't hustle. They are, they live with a sense of groundedness and focus and they don't rush and they, they're not frantic. They're just able to live at the right rhythm them, even with this very high stakes work. I also have a person in my life who is legitimately retired, does not work, but hustles every day of her life as though someone is chasing her on fire. Do you know what I mean? So this way of living has almost nothing to do with like the actual hours or, or kind of work that we do. You can live frantic and hustling and fake resting no matter what's on your plate. And you can live grounded and wholehearted with a deep sense of like self-compassion and compassion for others, no matter what's on your plate. It's about the inside, not about the outside. That was profound, what you just said. And that is so true because so many people link the thing that they're doing, if it's more important and it's a bigger job and it's, well, then it's automatically the wagon that's hitched, hitched to it is hustle. But that I've never heard anyone say it like that. And I love that. And I've heard you say so many times, hustle is the opposite of heart. And I just, that was so beautifully said. If we could just go back to heart, I need to know the person who has the high stakes job, who, who is so grounded. And I need that to well, be I can't mentor. tell you it's a secret. I, know you I would blow her cover. <laughs> <laughs> Man, what a beautiful, that seems like the epitome to me when you're able to do that. Because it really is an inside Mm -hmm. job. It is. It absolutely is. Mm -hmm. It really is. And something else that I've heard you say that I 
I really love that I think a lot of people forget to think about. You talked about everybody always or not everybody. A lot of people say, I want to make a difference in the world. Really want to make a difference in the world. I want to change lives. I want to. But you said, and I don't even, you may not even remember saying this. I heard you say it like in passing on a podcast. You said, I want to make a difference with my whole life. And I thought about that. And I thought about how so many people think I want to make a difference, but it's only in career that they've chosen as a channel to make the difference or only in, you know, whatever sect they've chosen. I'm going to make a difference. Maybe it's their church. Maybe it's their community. But your whole story and your whole journey in present over perfect Because making a difference in the world is the type of children that you raise to and the type of family that you foster. Mm -hmm. So I love that you said that. And I wrote it on a post-it note and I have it in my office. And I I love that line. I want to make a difference with my whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that to me is true balance, I think, is making a difference with your whole life. And um, I don't know if you could maybe speak a little bit on, on that, like, I know it's kind of your whole journey in general, but when you feel like you get out of balance, which I'm sure you still do, even though you are kind of a pro at this whole pullback when things get too much type thing, but you're also very much in high demand and life stages change. So um, when you feel like you're not making a difference in with your whole life, how do you, how do you do that? Like in a day-to-day, like a day-to-day balance kind of way? Well, I would say... Some of it is, I I feel like I know a lot of people who have extraordinary work lives. They're making extraordinary public contributions, but being close to them is sort of awful. Do you know what I mean? Like they're, they're just exhausted and exhausting. And we give them a pass to be terrible because they're making a difference, but it's really hard. You wouldn't want to be their neighbor. You wouldn't want to be their kid. You wouldn't want, you know, and, um, I don't buy into that. I think that's I think that's a, a something our culture is getting wrong. I think I want my neighbors to benefit from living next to me, not to be like secretly that lady's a disaster. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I um, exactly not because that would embarrass me, but because I don't want it to be true. I want being near me to make your life better, no matter who you are. And I want you to experience me as a person of kindness and warmth who takes interest in you, who makes your life a little softer and sweeter, whether or not you meet me on a stage or on the subway. Um, It has to all be happening together. It has to be true in the laundry room of our building and in the green room of the fancy place, or it's not worth anything to me. That is so well said. And so I think it's important to me that the whole thing is happening together in integrity. All the things are, are, I'm as, I'm the same person you meet again on the street on, you know, at, I went to the drugstore today to get scotch tape. I'm the same person you meet there as, as you would meet me in a greeting line because you just bought a book. The, it all has to work together. And in order to do that, we have to take care of ourselves. Yes. It's very easy to turn it on in public. And then to be just a garbage person in private, not because you're a bad person, just because you're exhausted. I remember a moment. Hmm? Mm -hmm. And you gave it all to them, to the people there. And then there's nothing left for your own people that you, that love you. There is a finite amount of energy that each of us has. And I think, especially as women, we tend to believe in the myth that if we do it exactly right, no one will ever be disappointed in us. And we will never run out of that energy. It's just not true. 
There's a finite amount of energy that I have to give to people in the course of a day. And I was getting it wrong. And I was giving it to strangers and giving just the scraps to the people in my home that I love the most in all the world. And whenever I feel myself getting off course, um, I think one of the things that's changed, you said, you know, it's been several years that I've sort of been on this new path. I don't get it right all the time, but my response time is quicker, right? I don't get off for two months at a time anymore. I get off for like a day and a half and I get it back. I notice the warning signs quicker and I'm able to kind of reroute back into healthy living more quickly. Mm-hmm. And you, you're you so good about asking people for help, whether that's your husband in that beautiful story that every everybody probably already knows, like in the really pivotal moment when you guys were on vacation and you just felt kind of awful and like had this big shift and you told, and you, you are scared to tell your dad, you're scared to tell your husband and all of, and your friends and all of these people just helped you on that path and helped you to slow it down, figure out your new way of being and how to get out of the hustle. And I love that story that, that you tell over and over in different capacities and in different versions of your life. And I love something else that you say about hustle is that you and I can't remember how exactly you say it, but it's something like normal people aren't worthy of the hustle like that. It's or, or no, aren't worthy of the burnout. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. So from the hustle. So, you know, your big high level CEO, like they can have the burnout, but like the stay at home mom or the person that ha- that works a quote unquote normal job, th- like there's no excuse for you to have a burnout. And that's just not true. Because it's just not true. Capacities. And tired is tired. Tired is tired. It's important to talk about that so that a woman listening doesn't say, how is she able to do all this? And I'm not. Exactly. I'm able to do it because I have tons of great support yes. and, and not because I'm a superwoman. Those are really important things for us to talk about. Yes, I agree. I agree. And if you if you find yourself saying this, this line that I, I love, I don't know, I think you're on Jen's podcast or something. You said, if you find yourself looking at someone's life and saying, must be nice <laughs> that you need to listen to that within yourself. What, where is that? Where can that jealousy, which usually that's what it is or mm-hmm. you know, anger about something. It can point you in a direction of where you may need some more support. It's exactly support. right. You're exactly right. I think I thought that was fantastic how you said that. Well, thank you. I think we culturally, when we feel kind of that jealousy or that like must be nice feeling, we're like, ew, just, um, I don't want to feel that anymore. So I'm going to quickly get it out of here. We're going to not pay attention to it. But if you bring it in a little closer, a lot of, sometimes it's just like, of course we're jealous because that's amazing. Right. Um, but a lot of times if you look underneath it, like I noticed for years, I wasn't jealous of people who had like I don't know, really beautiful cars or really beautiful jewelry or what I was jealous of was people who it seemed like were able to rest and play in a way that I was not currently free to do. And so when I lined up all those, like every time I said must be nice, it wasn't like, oh, I want her earrings. It was like, I want her smaller, quieter life. Ding, ding, ding. You know, we can learn a lot if we don't just push away our jealousy. But if we take a closer look at it, it it has something to tell us about our desires and maybe even things that we haven't admitted to ourselves because they feel sort of risky or scary. 
So it's worth paying attention to. Mm-hmm. I like how you you said you used to think of them as fussy flower women because I also thought of them as fussy flower women that had the time for the green juice and like the rest and play. And uh, I was, yeah, I thought in my head, like, well, it must be nice because you don't have a job, you know, but then you look at it and, and I looked at that in myself and I was like, oh, I actually want, I would actually like to rest, but I feel guilty resting and I can't rest because I got too much going on. And I, but realistically, I didn't, I can slow my life down and like, I can be a fussy flower woman a couple of days a week if I want to. And um, I, I like that, that you write about that and how you used to be versus how you are now. You don't have to live the same way in every season. There can be slow seasons and fast seasons, and there can be really full seasons and then really like pared down simple seasons. Um, You know, you mentioned earlier, our little kids are not going to be little forever. And so we get to decide how we're going to do each season. And, you know, three years from now, you might decide it is farm and chickens for me. Mm -hmm. And then three years after that, you might be up here in New York City and There's so much freedom that goes with listening to your life and making the right decisions for right now, for this season, as opposed to feeling like it all has to be forever exactly one way. It doesn't. Yes, Yes, forever exactly one way. That is so true. And something that I have um, trouble with just personally is if I feel like I get to the point where I've I've realized I'm doing it wrong, I can beat myself up for a lot longer that I was that I did it wrong for the two years. And gosh, I messed it up for two whole years and I never get those back. And like, it's my own fault. And I wish I could leave that behind a little bit longer or a little bit quicker. Do you have any advice for that? Especially, I guess, I wish there was another way to say it besides like mom guilt. I guess you just make the change. <laughs> well, I mean, the only, thing, the only thing worse than not making the change would be making the change, but then carrying around the regret of not making it sooner. One of the things I really have to work on is forgiving myself almost every day for just the things I'm not, the things I didn't do, the things I still haven't pulled together about myself, the the things I've been working on forever that I can't seem to get a, a kind of a handle on. So one of my daily spiritual practices, I went through a phase six months ago. It's a little better now, but I was just having like the worst time sleeping. I just couldn't sleep. And I would have to wake up in the morning and I would wake up so mad because I had like another terrible night. Mm-hmm. And so I would wake up and I would forgive the night for being so terrible. <laughs> and then I would forgive the world for not always being what I want it to be. And then I would forgive myself for all the ways I didn't live up to the pressure I put on myself. Wow. And then I could start my day fresh with a sense of freedom and opportunity. And then the next day I would have to forgive the night for being terrible <laughs> and the world for being sort of terrible, and my uh-huh. own self for being sort of terrible. But I have always said in the course of relationships that like, if you can't get into the practice of forgiveness on an ongoing basis, you can't be in relationship, right? Like it's one of the fuels. It's one of the central tools of staying in relationship is knowing how to forgive each other. It's also true about our own selves. We just have to keep forgiving ourselves. We have to keep showing grace to ourselves. We have to keep being tender and kind to ourselves for the million ways we haven't gotten it right. We need that for our own spirits. We need, our kids need that. They need to see that we're able to be kind to ourselves. If we're not able to forgive ourselves, we're not able to show real grace to anyone else in our lives. 
and they pick up on that. Yes, especially like this new generation coming up because it seems relationships are more disposable than they used to be. It's so many things are so quick, even the way that they meet people. And I, I love, you know, you talk about community so much, but community seems so disposable lately with dating apps and different things. And no one even gets to the point where it's the long-term forgiveness that builds the relationship because they're like, well, give me another one, you know? And I I hope that that's not going to become a lost art because what a beautiful thing it is to be married for 20 years like you are. And I hope we don't keep moving further and further away from that and further and further away from deep forgiveness and getting through hard phases because it's such a rich way to live. And um, I love it that you're talking about like modeling that for your kids because their generation is, is seeing a whole different type of world than we did, I, th- I think. I don't know. I didn't say it as beautifully as you did, but that's what that reminds me of, you know? I mean, I think even, you know, I think about our family relationships. Like we watch our kids with their cousins, you know, and we just say like, oh, they're going to be your family forever. It doesn't matter. They drive you crazy. It doesn't matter if you, you know, like, oh, you hurt her feelings. Well, go make it right because you're going to be in relationship with them forever. So we need to repair broken things. Part of being in relationship is getting comfortable with repairing broken things over and over and over. And too, like, I, I love it that you teach your kids that because I think so many people, um, Lately, it's just kind of like, if well, if it doesn't make you feel good, like move on from it. But like, why doesn't it make you feel good? Is that a, because we can be different. I, I love the, the things that you say about like, it is our it is our job to find joy and goodness. And I think about that a lot, how you say that in other people that is included, like in finding joy and goodness in other people. And lately, it seems like everybody just wants to catch somebody doing something wrong or they want to point out people's flaws and I hate this culture of that because I also believe that it's our job to find joy and goodness in our, our own lives and in other people. And when we stop doing that, so much, so much light in the world is extinguished. I feel, I mean, I think, you know, it's really easy, you know, especially just having moved. I think I'm very uh, kind of sensitive to like, we had to make all new friends, you know, and it's hard. And we had some friends here, but we also had to like mostly start over. And it, you know, it feels like dating sort of, you're like yeah. kind of feeling <laughs> each other out and do we like each other and do we not? And um, I think for a long time, I've had such high expectations for friendship. Like it has to be forever and it has to be perfect and it has to be, you know, we have to be like matched in all these different ways. And one of the things this new season is teaching me is like, accept what's on offer. Accept what's on offer. Yeah. Not everybody is going to be your forever and ever best friend. Not everybody wants to hear the like nitty gritty details of this thing that happened 10 years ago, but they might be able to sit next to you on a picnic blanket and make you feel less alone in a really difficult season of life. So we always talk about this, just this last book almost did me in. It just depends on where you are in your life here. I can't. Oh yeah. The the book that comes out soon, that comes out next year. It's May, it's May, May, April. April. April? Okay. Yeah. April 12th. April 12th. Oh, that's, I can't wait. I can't wait for that book to come out. Thank you. Okay. So I want to um, wrap this podcast up talking about something that I love to talk about, which is cooking and uh-huh. we're in fall, which I know isn't your favorite season, which is funny. I'm coming around to it. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm getting there. Okay. Cause 
because I feel like fall is everyone's favorite season. I know. And I think that's part of my, I'm like, oh, it's not, how can it be your favorite? Summer well, should be your favorite. And, and that's the most favorite. Oh, I know. I know. It's, I'm but just, we can be different. Everyone yes. can be different, but I love that. But fall is a season where I, I cook a lot. Yes. Change a lot Same. of things. And I cook like you do, where I just throw things together and I don't do them. And I just, I love, there's something about like frying garlic in a pan that makes me feel a full body thing. Absolutely. Yes. I do not stress when I cook. I just love to cook like you do. Like you. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So what are like your three things? favorite things to cook? Well, um, I love enchiladas. I love any like one pot, like pan of something yummy and warm and cheesy. Um, and enchiladas are one of those things that like, if you have tortillas, you can make enchiladas, you know, because you can sort of just put anything in them. I made a pan last night with sweet corn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 If you have some sour cream, you're fine. Um, so I love to make enchiladas. We have been in a big uh, queso phase lately because we've been having all these picnics. And then in the fall, especially, I love to make soup. Everybody is happy with soup, right? Everybody is happy with soup. A really good hunk of bread and that you can start with anything. You start with like an onion and a little bit of garlic, and then you can just put like everything in your fridge that you should have made into a salad into soup. (laughs) Yeah. I have so many of those things that should have been made into a salad that need mm-hmm. to have soup, like right now. And I do too. Vegetable stock can keep until the year 2028. 20, so like you can always have that on hand. You can freeze bone broth. Like that's a good, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yep. I am. I am always soup ready. Soup because ready. of the things I should have put in a salad. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. We're all um, getting Getting used to being medium. I like it. I love how you say that. You said, um, she said somewhere in one book that she wrote that, uh, how did you say that? How did you say that? That your body was the last one to know that you always thought next season, I'm going to be this size. Mm-hmm. And your body finally found Just, out that you were yeah. medium. Still medium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yep. love how you yeah. said that. <laughs> probably okay. not next week. I'm going to end up a, yeah, probably still going to be medium next week. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. I don't mm-hmm. know what happened like the last six months, but the next six months I'm going to for sure, for sure. Then <laughs> no, probably uh-huh. still, still, still going to be a medium. Yeah. Still eating the enchiladas and be the medium. I probably mm-hmm. will always end up at a medium also. I'll go, I'll fluctuate, but like my baseline is kind of medium also. So I love how you say that. Okay. And then, um, this is the last thing that I, I want to say because I think it's so beautiful and it gives people permission to make the change that you've done so beautifully. But I've heard you say and write that like, you know, there are certain things you learned in the church that were half truths um, or that you in your life realized like this doesn't apply to me or this needs to be shifted just a little bit. And so many, so many things from the church, like you are the truths and you talk about and you write about. But one of the ones that I love is that you say, if it produces good fruit, then it must be God's will. And you said, you think that's only kind of halfway true. Um, so can you speak a little bit to that? Because I think a lot of people probably think, well, you know, serving people, even though I feel exhausted and I have nothing left to give my family, that is God's will and I must do it. And I love it that you gave people permission because you came from a very church background, mm-hmm. or a very, what I just feel like is just a holy person that just really gets it. So permission like that coming from you is pretty big. 
Hmm. So I would love to end kind of talking about that um, and people that may feel that right now, that pressure from God, you know, to keep living this way. Well, and what I would say is I, I think that the idea that good fruit matters is true. What we forget to do is we forget to look at the fruit that it's yielding in our own lives, right? As long as the fruit is good out there, then it must be God's will. But I think what I'm saying is it has to be good for everyone involved, not just for the people who are receiving it. If it's grinding away... If it's keep me, keeping me from being the parent I want to be, if it's keeping me from connecting in meaningful relationships, if it's keeping me from giving my best to my marriage, that's not yielding good fruit in me. And so whatever it's yielding out there is not as beautiful as, it, as you thought it was at the beginning. And there is a way of living that yields good fruit for everyone involved. There is. We don't have to bear fruit at the expense of our own spirits, our own marriages, our own homes, our own dreams, our own bodies. The system was made to work for health for all of us. And that idea, um, and people sometimes bring up like, well, Jesus died on a cross. Well, yes, definitely. But he also did a lot of other things. And maybe we're not um, the, the idea of sacrifice, I think we have gotten it a little bit wrong. I think there are times to be deeply sacrificial and to do difficult, hard, brave things. But I don't think the overall rhythm of our lives are supposed to hurt on an ongoing basis as though we're hanging on a cross. Wow. I think when you look at the whole of Jesus' life, there was a lot of health and good fruit and rest and connection and silence and withdrawing. And we can draw from all of those examples, not just the very last one. That's not the only example that he wants us to emulate. And so I think we have to reframe what it means to live a whole and holy and wholehearted life. And it's not one of ongoing pain and sacrifice. It's one of intimacy with God and with our own selves and with the people that we trust most and physical health and grace and rest and play and a sense of delight in this world. That's what we were made for. Wow. Oh my gosh. That was so beautifully said. I just have to take like a second. That is, that's the definition of what I would call like living fully, which is the Mm -hmm. title of that, yes. that is it right there. It doesn't have to hurt like the very last scene. You're so, you're so right. That was so beautifully said. Thank you so much for sharing that and everything that you've shared today. And most especially that. That was Thank you. Said. Especially Thank coming you. into a holiday season where a lot of people are going to feel pain for the joy that they're trying to bring other people. And I don't want people to feel that, which is why I did this little capsule podcast. I love it. I think think we're in a season right now where um, like we haven't seen our family nearly as much as we would have the last couple of years because of the pandemic. Um, We are going to get to see them coming into this holiday season. I am determined not to get caught up in all this stuff. I want to focus on their faces and their voices and the memories we make. And it can be messy and it can be low key, but I'm not going to get it wrong this season because I'm 
because I'm trying to recreate something extraordinary. Nobody needs extraordinary this season. We need connection. We need jammies. We need looking in each other's eyes. I think it, if we can hold tight to that, it's going to be a really special way of having learned from a difficult season, bringing something beautiful into the next one. Oh, perfect ending of this podcast. Oh my gosh. That was, that was beautifully said. Like everything that you always say and write, what a gift you've been to me today. And I'm certain to everybody that's listened to this podcast. Thank you, Shauna. It was great to talk with you. Thank you. This was great. So all things um, Shauna Nequist will be in the bio, um, the description of this podcast. And I'll link all of her books because they're all equally as amazing. And I can't wait until April 12th for the Mm. next book. And um, just thank you for being a shining light in so many different spaces and for coming on today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you, everyone, for listening today and tune in next Monday for more. Thanks for joining us on Living Fully with Mallory Irvin. And remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single minute of encouragement and inspiration to live your best life. Want more? Join us on MalloryIrvin.com so we can connect with you on Instagram and YouTube. Start living your life now. You've only got one. We'll see you next time.